The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone, and get ready to rock and roll. I'm telling you right now, we have a very exciting guest on our show today, someone that I've known several years, and someone who really cares about the employment of people with disabilities. He is the former Assistant Secretary of the Office of Disability Employment Policy, National Consultant on Disability Issues and Policy, well-known speaker on these issues, and just a great national leader. Neil, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Joyce. That's uh, that's a uh, that's quite an introduction, but I have to tell you, I'm sure your listeners know. Um, you are one of the leaders, and I am just delighted to be with you. Your work on epilepsy, APD, and Bender and & Associates has really led the way in a lot of places, and it's an honor to be with you today, Joyce. Well, thank you, but I, we all know it's an honor to have you. And I know many of you listening to the show know Assistant Secretary Neil Romano, uh, and remember all the work he did trying to help people with disabilities gain employment. But I must start by talking about this great news, and that is, of course, the final rule for Section 503 being issued a couple of weeks ago and soon to go into the Federal Register. Um, what did you think? Well, Joyce, obviously a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment, something that, you know, there's, there's always going to be, there's always going to be issues on both sides of uh, whether it's perfect, not perfect, but you know, uh, they always say that perfect is the enemy of good. I think it's a magnificent piece of legislation. Uh, back when I was in office uh, in 08, I actually had some of the first conversations with OFCCP about the need to do something uh, around uh, around this issue uh, to enforce it better. You know, it's it's so important uh, <laughs> that people with disabilities, that there's a level playing field. And the federal government stepping out and being the ones to say, okay, we're going to take a lead on this. We're going to explain to you what needs to be done and how to do it. I think it's important. You know, I understand uh, that there will be businesses um, uh, that uh, that will look at this and say, "Oh my goodness, it's something else I have to comply with," and worried about the paperwork and what does it mean and all that. But it'll be a short period of time when people are going to realize that this could potentially be one of the most positive things any business will ever do for its business, embracing this concept. And I so much agree with you because there is a talent pool that has been untapped that when they get these employees on board and they see the retention, the loyalty, because we all know that losing people is a very big cost to corporations. When they see this, they are going to have the opposite feeling. And just remember, everyone, you know, I grew up during the time of 
oh, women, you're going to take the man's job. Oh, African Americans, you're going to take the white man's job. And hey, look what's happened. So trust me, I've heard it before. It wasn't true then. It isn't true now. It will be good. And it is wonderful for people with disabilities. So before I go any further, uh, Linda from Florida, Assistant Secretary Romano, so excited to know that you're on the show today. My question for you is, how do we find out where you're speaking? Well, um, you know, I, I, I don't do, as you know, Joyce, I don't do a blog or anything like that. Um, I uh, uh, Just uh, a lot of people have told me all they do is they Google me. Uh, apparently, there's a lot of stuff on me in Google. I'm not a Googler, uh, but they Google me and they find out where my uh, where I'm going to be speaking uh, in various places. I know that uh, upcoming soon, I'm going to be doing a speech in Syracuse, New York. Uh, I have one in California, uh, and I have another one in uh, in uh, I believe San Diego. But uh, generally, if you Google my name and say talks, you'll probably find me. And if not, contact VendorConsult.com. Because we usually know what this man is up to. So you get in touch with me, and we can let you know. Um, Neil, that information that I talked about with 503, um, the implementation period is six months. Uh, My question, how long do you think it will take most federal contractors to get on board with this? You know, Joyce, that's a really, really interesting question. You know, we have... There's a lot of very, very good and progressive businesses that understand the value of this to themselves as businesses, but also the value to their companies. And even while the regs were being written, there were companies that were already considering, how do I do this? So I think what we're going to see is a gradual phasing in by different companies based upon need. I think six months is a great time period, but uh, I, I think they can probably handle that. And I think as we go through this, when the larger businesses start becoming involved in this quickly, people will realize that it's valuable and they'll get on board. I just want to say one more thing about you know the, the, the value of this. As you were talking about retention and so on, I also want to remind people that you know difference is always the en- engine of positive change and progress. I have said this before. I know you've heard me say this, Joyce, and I'm going to say it again that the, the, the positive differences that more people with disabilities will bring to the workplace are going to be an engine for social change that are going to roughly be the same as the Industrial Revolution. Because as we figure out how to get people with disabilities involved in business, things will happen, system changes will happen, products and services will be developed by these companies that will be valuable for all of mankind and start an entire new an entire new area of business that was never dreamed of before. So this is good from a lot of points of view, and I think that when businesses start figuring this out, the implementation is going to be is going to roll along at a nice pace. One of the things, though, that I always say is there's a difference between complying with a regulation and embracing that regulation, Joyce. Uh, as you know, compliance is if you go on the very edge of it and just do what you're told. Embracing says, hey, you know what? This is good for me and my business. I'm really going to plunge into this, and I'm going to go above and beyond and prove that this is going to be valuable for me, and I'm delighted to do this. So I hope that that's the case. I do, too. And, you know, when people say to me, 
oh, well, what are we going to do to get people to self-identify? What can we do to get people to talk about having a disability? I say two things. Number one, hire people. You want to change the work face of America? Hire someone so that they see other people with disabilities working at the company. But number two Mm -hmm. is what Neil alluded to. It's embracing in the culture the employment of people with disabilities. There is a difference between tolerance and welcoming. And when you get that out, when people see that, you will see a change. And I know you know, Neil, various companies, we know how that has impacted their employees that are not disabled. Sure. Oh, oh sure. I, you know, um, I, I, you know, I hate to date myself, Joyce, but, you know, I go all the way back uh, to the early 70s. Uh, I was an intern at uh, New York University, and I, I worked in the office of Congresswoman Bella Abzug, and I tell people this all the time. I remember the conversations around, as you alluded to at the beginning of the opening of the, of the, of the show, I remember people talking about how will women do in the workplace? How will African Americans do in the workplace? Will they be productive? Are we going to have to do special things? All the concerns around that. Now what I say to businesses all the time when they're thinking about this, when they're thinking about 503, when they're thinking about bringing more people with disabilities into their workplace, I always say to them, hey, I'd like you to do me a favor. I'd like you to close your eyes and take all the people who weren't in the workforce 40, 50, 60 years ago out of your business and see what you have left. Not a great deal. You can't afford to lose the talent of women in business. You can't afford to lose the talent of African Americans and Hispanics and other people in our culture who have brought so much to the table. This is the next great wave of diversity, and it is going to pay off dramatically for the businesses, for our society, and for all of us. Oh, it is. And not only that, I was telling someone today, different federal agencies and corporations have talked about what the heck are we going to do when we have this significant workforce that over the next five years will be retiring. What are we going to do? Well, here you go. Here's a talent pool you haven't looked at, and you really need to bring in people at the entry level so that you're able to move forward. Um, I mean, some agencies, it is unbelievable the percentage that will be retiring. So, you know, that's another thing to think of because, as Neil is alluding to, it's all about business. It's all about business. Oh, absolutely, Joyce. And and then even above and beyond the fact that they're retiring, let's talk about the fact that some of those people that are retiring, both in government service and in private industry, we're going to want to keep them as knowledge workers. And as we keep them as knowledge workers, because we've invested so much in them, and they've, they've learned so much and done so much for our business, they're going to hit that 55 years old. They're going to hit that 55 and 60-year-old time in their life. I don't know about, about you, Joyce, but uh, I, I'm almost 60. And they're going to suddenly have disabilities. They're going to have things that are going to come up. And if we don't learn how to embrace this now, we're going to lose those knowledge workers as well as not get some of these new folks into the talent pool. There was a statistic uh, a few years ago that came out of the Department of Labor that said that uh, within the next 15 years, as many as 10% of all the entry-level jobs in America will go unfilled. We have to fill these jobs. 
And there's no greater group of people. There is no more talented group of people. There's no better asset we have in America than people with disabilities who are ready, who are dying to work, and they want to step up and take those positions. And we have to learn how to make sure the entire culture of our business is ready for them. Oh, that is an excellent point. And, Neil, no wonder we get along so well. At the end of this year, I, too, will be turning 60. That's why I so well remember about women, you know, what people would say when women got into the workforce or what they were saying about African Americans in the workforce. You know, here we are today, commander-in-chief and CEOs of many corporations. But that point you made about the people that would be retiring, the companies will try to retain are going to be people with disabilities uh, in many cases. So why would you not want to have them and the access and accessibility that you need to keep them on board? And, and, you know, and Joyce, at a rate of about 50%, you know, at a rate of about 50%, those workers will wind up being people with disabilities, whether it's, you know, limited vision, whether it's limited hearing, whether it's severe arthritis, whether it's, something that has to do with, um, you know, with a, an emotional problem or something that they've had for years. If we can't figure out how to keep those people working, we lose another source of talent. And this is just a matter of business doing what business does best, which is learning how to adapt not just the business but the people to the business and working together to see that they are productive. Right. I agree with you. Well, listen, we're going to get ready to go to break, but if you just joined us, we are talking to the former Assistant Secretary of the Office of Disability Employment Policy, Neil Romano, nationally known consultant and speaker in the area of the employment of people with disabilities and how that impacts the bottom line. We will be right back. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at Voice America. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Neil. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. 
You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven. Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back everyone, and if you just joined us, we are talking to the president of the Romano Group and the former assistant secretary of the Office of Disability Employment Policy, Neil Romano, and it's so exciting to have him with us. Neil, as you know, we were talking about Section 503, but you know what? The ADA was written in 1990, and it has been so long to see this change. Now, why do you think there has been this incredible barrier to the employment for people with disabilities? Because that really is strike zone because of your background. Sure. Uh, you know, Joyce, uh, let, me, let me start off by saying this. As a person who's been in business, uh, you know, better than 40 years, uh, been involved in and around businesses, been involved in and around government at a high level, I don't see any malevolence in this issue. There were some other integration issues where there was malevolence in holding people back. What I see here primarily is a historic mindset about people with disabilities in the workplace. You know, historically, you know, the only, the only uh, contact uh, companies had with people with disabilities was when someone from the company was asked to be on their board of directors and then hit up for money, you know, and told, you know, you've got to help us because these folks can't help themselves. Well, you have this historical, you know, feeling about people with disabilities, and a lot of people have never gotten out of that or don't understand that things have changed dramatically. I give talks all the time, and one of the things I always say to, to business leaders is that how many of you in the room can identify uh, ADA? And I'll get 100% of the hands. And then I'll say, how many of you can identify IDEA? Well, I get no hands. So, in, you know, so they don't even know that people with disabilities over the last 30 years have changed pretty dramatically now that it's a requirement for them to be educated and so on. However, it, it's a series of things, Joyce. It's it's people come to the table with low expectations. Um, they're making an assumption that, uh, you, know, you know, people in the disability community want, us to want businesses to hire people with disabilities who can't do the job. Not true. I go around and say people all the time, do not hire people with disabilities who are not the people for the job. I don't want charity hires because the last thing I want to hear is that someone was hired for charity reasons or to have a, you know, have someone around with a disability say they've done it because if they're in, they become expendable. And that's the last thing I need is to see someone be hired to be fired. The other thing is fear of difference. You know, a lot of times it's a, there's fear around, well, how am I going to work with these folks? How am I going to talk to a person with a disability? I remember when I first got in the field, um, I, I, I started looking things up, and I found a thing that said how to talk to a person in a wheelchair. Now, I have a brother who's a quadriplegic from the Vietnam War whom I love dearly and has helped shape some of my, my thoughts in this field. But I got this, this paper I sent away for this booklet of how to talk to a person uh, in a wheelchair, and it was 14 pages of single-spaced information. 
that said things like, don't talk to him from a standing position. You have to be in a sitting position, on and on and on. And I'm thinking, well, what does this mean to a business if you have someone in a wheelchair, you know, and you're at the elevator and you meet your colleague? Do you ignore him? So this fear of how to do it, they try to do it right, and that's one of the, one of the issues. The other one is the cost of, uh, you know, obviously the fear of the cost of accommodation. Now that, as you probably know, makes me crazier than anything. The cost of accommodation, first of all, I don't even like the word accommodation because it sounds like you're doing someone a favor. As I have said for years, on the job, if someone is asking you for the opportunity and the equipment to do the job, that's not an accommodation. That's just a productivity enhancement. If someone in my company says to me, you know, Neil, I need such and such a computer to be able to do artwork like this, and that's going to make me more productive, and that's going to make more money for the business. What makes that an accommodation? It's simply a productivity enhancement. But when you put all these things together, these, these basic fears, these low expectations and stuff, people have a strange view. But I'm happy to say that, I, you know, Joyce, I, I'm seeing that change dramatically. And part of the reason I see that changing is people are beginning to speak up about the fact that they have a disability. Uh, as you know, uh, you know, I, I once said to someone that I did lie once on a government form because they asked me if I had a disability, and I would never say yes. It's only within the last 15 years that I've started to tell people that I'm someone who has struggled his entire life with dyslexia. Uh, and it's been very, very difficult uh, but it's been something that now I embrace and understand. But it's those kinds of things. It's, it's more the fear of the unknown than it is malevolence. And I see that really beginning to break up uh, pretty dramatically in business, thankfully. You know, this show is, a, is kept on uh, Voice, in, Voice America and on my website, but also it can be downloaded from iTunes. And I want to say something right now to all the young people that I know. Follow me in this radio show. Young people with a learning disability and, sadly, some who have attempted suicide because of being so bullied. Do you see who's on the show here? Assistant Secretary in Washington, D.C. Now, this is a presidential appointee. Assistant Secretary of the Office of Disability Employment Policy, speaks across the United States, very successful, who, who has dyslexia. And, Neil, I don't know if you want to um, say anything about that or speak to the young people, because I have young people that are being so brutally bullied over a learning disability <clears throat> that they have attempted suicide. Sadly, some have succeeded. Um, what do you have to say to that? You know, Joyce, it's, uh, that's, a, um, uh, that's, that's something that touches me very deeply. I speak to, I have lots of young people that I don't even know that find me and contact me. And I, you know, uh, I, I, I have a very busy schedule, but trust me, they contact me and I'll take the time to sit and talk. I mean, I was a person who went to school and basically uh, in my high school, um, they, they told me not even to try to go to college. Uh, they didn't let me take the SATs. I took the PSATs, and my test scores were so poor that they convinced my parents that going to college was not an option for me. Uh, they wanted me to be a baker. Uh, and I would have been a good baker, Joyce. You know, I probably would have owned a bakery, you know, a couple of them. Probably would have owned, like, an Endemans. But, but the bottom line was, I, it, thankfully, there were people in my life who said, you know what, these are people that are seeing you through their eyes, based upon what you can't do. 
They should be seeing you for what you can do. And you've got to prove to them what you can do. I was very fortunate in that I was a very, very good athlete in high school. So I survived the bullying and the names and the, and the being made fun of. But I have to tell you, I do remember. I mean, I remember every single time I'd have to read out loud or anything like that. I remember a lot of tears. I, I honestly do. And then winding up going on to college and... Um, uh, my dyslexia was so bad that I was reading at a speed that was, uh, you know, I, read it, I, read, I was reading at about 60 words a minute. I would literally read for 20 hours a day uh, to try and keep up. I, I, even today, I read standing up and walking around so I don't fall asleep. But all of these things have made me stronger. All of these things have, have added into my life. And I tell young people all the time, don't see yourself through the lens of other people. Don't see yourself for what people say you can't do. You know your talents. You know what you're good at. And what you're good at is, is your talent. It's your God-given talent. That's, that's what you're good at. Do it. Figure out how to have fun with it. Uh, you know, my entire life, Joyce, my favorite thing probably has been baseball. So, for instance, for me, I don't care if it's business, government, or whatever it is, I've managed to add baseball into the programs and things I've worked on. And it's really kind of interesting because... I explain that you can take, you know, a, a, something like that and do something dynamic with it and help other people. But you, I've reached a point in my life, Joyce, and I tell people this all the time, where the most exciting part of it is being able to know that I have dyslexia. I have a learning disability, but I have managed to help other people because of it. And what, when I was in high school and junior high school and college and at other times in my life was a, was a burden and something that, you know, I just never understood why this was happening. I now see it as a tremendous blessing in my life. I see it as an opportunity to be able to relate to other people and be able to explain and help them with their issues. So I just suggest, uh, and I strongly suggest, that the young person look at themselves as a whole person. Determine who you are. Determine what you really can do and what you love to do, and pursue that. And when people say that you can't do that, just tell them, you know, I'll make that decision, not you. Oh, such great words. Listen, young people, I want to say again, this is the Assistant Secretary of the Office of Disability Employment Policy, a really, really important position that he had. Now, he's got your back, I've got your back, Absolutely. Don't let anyone put you down. Remember what I always say. Learning disability does not mean you're stupid. Learning disability means you learn differently. And that's all there is to it. Hey, we're going to go to break right now. If you just joined the show, we've been talking to Neil Romano, the president of the Romano Group, the former assistant secretary of the Office of Disability Employment Policy, and a national consultant and speaker. We'll be right back to talk to Neil a little more. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. News. News. Opinion. 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 Opinion.
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. We all face some economic uncertainty in our life. What makes the difference is how we take command of that and survive. Tune in to Strategies for Financial Survival with host Michael Figueroa. Michael has been up and down the road to success several times, and along with his guests, will share the skills of survival. By assessing your strengths and skills and applying them to your future, you can make it through tough times, regardless of your field. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, everyone. We're talking to Neil Romano today, the president of the Romano Group and the former assistant secretary of the Office of Disability Employment Policy and a consultant to corporations across America. Now, Neil, you, you mentioned about loving baseball. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yes, absolutely. So you know I have to say this, right? The Pirates are tied for first place. Yes, I know. And in I, their I, division. I, I, I just great... want to remind all of you, this <laughs> is the first time in 20 years that we've had a winning season. Got to love it, Joyce. Got to love oh, it. Oh, well, see, we love this team. We love Clint Hurdle, who has a child with a disability. But, mm-hmm. Neil, you and I, I'll tell you what, I'm sitting here looking at a pirate's mug, a little pirate parrot, but behind me a photograph of Roberto Clemente, uh, because I, too, absolutely love baseball. Mm-hmm. I remember your office, so I know you did, too. <laughs> but speaking yes. of your office, Neil, <clears throat> what did that mean to you to be named presidential position, assistant secretary of the Office of Disability Employment Policy in the Department of Labor. Well, Joyce, it, meant to, it, it truly meant an awful lot to me, but I'm going to have to take you back a little bit. You know, in 1968, I was, uh, I was 14 years old, and we went on our, our eighth grade trip at the end of the year to Washington, D.C., and our trip was almost canceled because during the time that we were supposed to have the trip was when they had the, the Poor People's March on Washington. So we weren't able to, they changed the trip because if you remember, they didn't want buses going into the, into the DC area. But two of my coaches took me one night because I was a big kid, uh, took me into DC by e- in the evening just to go see this. And we went in and there I saw the sea of people all camped out on the mall and all of these huge buildings encircling them. And I just, you know, I was a 14-year-old normal kid, didn't think much about that kind of stuff, and I just said, what is this about? What's going on? And my teacher said to me, he said, Neil, people come here with their problems. 
People come here when they need a problem solved, he said. And I remember at that moment looking at the buildings and saying, I want to know what goes on inside these buildings, and I want to help solve those problems. I want to be one of those people. So it was a lifetime um, belief from 14 on that um, you know my, my inherent uh, Judeo-Christian upbringing uh, was that every single human being was equal and created equal, and my desire was to do the best I could for as many people. That position gave me that opportunity, and um, that's what it meant to me. It meant an opportunity to help as many people as possible. And when I had the opportunity, when I had the what I now consider a blessing of having been a person with a disability, who had a brother who was, as I said, a quadriplegic from the Vietnam War, raised with a cousin who had Down syndrome, uh, whose parents couldn't take care of them, so my parents took them in. There was little or no doubt uh, of what what area I wanted to work in and what area touched me and was the most important in my life. So, um, you know, it, it meant a great deal to me. It meant a great deal. And the opportunity, frankly, to work with people in government. Um, you know, you hear a lot about government people, but then you go in and you work with people in government and you meet some of the finest, some of the hardest working people on the planet. Um, it was an experience that I'll never forget and also an opportunity to continue doing my work uh, helping people with disabilities find employment. Well, and may I say that Neil took this very seriously. I, I remember how seriously he took that position, how much he loved the position, but, you know, he really put a lot into it. Uh, but anyway, we have a caller on the line right now. <clears throat> caller, are you on the line? I am here. Hey, Hi. might this might this be Mark? It is Mark Curiello. Yes. Hello, Joyce. Hello, Neil. How are you? Hey. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing very well. Good. So I am calling. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit um, and talk a little bit about the hat that you um, wear with Walmart. Um, you know, Walmart does such great things um, in the disability space, um, and I feel like not enough people know that. Um, and one of the things that we partner with Walmart on um, is the AAPD internship program. Sure. Um, and I was just wondering if you maybe could take the opportunity to talk a little bit about that program, right, what it means to Walmart, and because, um, you know, it means a lot to us. Sure. Well, you know, uh, Mike, first of all, uh, my role with Walmart is is as a consultant and an advisor to them. It gives me um, it, really interesting. When I left government, I really had never thought about the concept of advising or consulting with anybody uh, on any issues. I was very pleased to go out and give speeches all over the United States. But looking at the structure of Walmart and having been uh, talked to people at Walmart and saw the, the really fervent <clears> desire to do something in the field of disabilities, to kind of move the needle and realizing how big they were. And because of their very bigness, Mark, uh, you know, you could do big things. You know, when you have a company with one and a half million employees, uh, right. you can do some very, very substantial things. I mean, their work with AAPD and the internship program is obviously very important. The opportunity to be able to uh, work with young people and put them in uh, positions uh, in Washington, D.C., is the way that uh, the leaders of tomorrow are developed. And uh, Walmart is obviously concerned about making sure that we raise up those leaders uh, as, you know, as, as best as we possibly can. 
The truth of the matter is, is that many corporations, not just Walmart, but many corporations, when they think about hiring people with disabilities, they're trying not to, they don't want to think about hiring just in a specific area. They don't want to just hire entry-level people. I mean, that's not productive. They would like to hire at every single step of the corporate ladder. So, you know, you want to you look for those folks that are in college that are going to be able to slide into those mid-level management positions. And you want to help nurture those folks, and particularly people with disabilities. So, I mean, obviously, AAPD's program is magnificent, and it's a great opportunity. I know Walmart funds that in conjunction with Mitsubishi. Uh, and it's, um, it's, we, have, we have seen some wonderful things. We've seen some wonderful young people come through that program. And it's just one of those things uh, where uh, it's, it's a point of pride. I don't think that uh, I don't think that anyone at Walmart's given a speech uh, recently uh, that they don't point that out. So that, that's a very very important thing for us. Wow! Thank you, Neil. Um, you know, it really does offer opportunity to a host of young people um, and provide the experience right they need to launch some really outstanding careers. Um, I don't know if folks know, but actually. Uh, you know, we have a range of ages um, that participate. Um, so a lot of folks are returning to school at the end of the summer. But for those that are looking for full-time employment, um, ever since I have been at AAPD, every single person who has wanted a job after has, has landed somewhere within a very short time. Um, and it wouldn't be possible without Walmart, without Mitsubishi Electric. And so I just wanted to say thank you. Well, thank thank you, Mark. Thank you. It's a, it's, it's a pleasure because it really is... Um, there are so many barriers to young people with disabilities uh, that giving them an opportunity to, to give them a leadership opportunity and to give them an opportunity to taste Washington, D.C., and everything that means uh, so that they can begin to gain a handle and some self-determination on their own lives and on the lives of people with disabilities and to be active players at an even higher level, uh, it's an invaluable opportunity. And may I just say that we have... I know she must be a black and gold person on our board, originally from Pittsburgh, from Walmart, correct? Is that right, Mark? It is absolutely correct. Um, Kathy Smith, um, the CFO of Walmart International, does serve on AAPD's board. Um, and so I, this was one more thing, right, um, that sort of shows Walmart's generosity, right? Um, the fact that she is the CFO of one of the largest corporations, if not the largest um, corporations or retailers in the world. We're the, we're the um, largest. <laughs> yeah, and she has time, right, to, to participate. And um, I know that disability is something that she is very, very passionate about. Um, and so in addition to all your support, right, your, your Walmart, um, you know, lends talent and expertise and right leadership. And so it's just really outstanding partnership. Well, we are Pittsburgh proud of her. Thank because you. That's we where are, she's we are, from. We are too. We are quite. It's a, um, you know, the uh, Walmart as a company, and I, you know, I thank you for your words, Mark, obviously. Uh, but Walmart as a company has a deep, deep commitment uh, to people, um, you know, to all people. Uh, we have a large company, and we understand, you know, as a, as a consultant to Walmart, we understand that, you know, issues like uh, trying to find talent. I mean, uh, we have a, you know, with a million and a half employees, talent is key because people are, people are what Walmart is about. You know, the associates are what Walmart's about. And the desire to reflect the population 
is almost, I can almost describe it as maniacal. It's just a desire because there's a, there's a, you know, there's also a business understanding here. You have to market to people. You have to understand the people that you want to do business with. It's not a good idea to try and work with people that you don't understand. And if you don't have them as part of your business, if you don't have them as part of you know, your thought process, then it's going to be very difficult to, uh, to market with them and to be, appropriately, you know, to be appropriate with them in the entire spectrum of business. It's one thing to sell people stuff. That's all well and good, and, you know, that's their job. But it's another thing entirely to be able to incorporate people into the entire fabric of a business, and that's what they fight for every single day. And I'm, I'm proud to, you know, as I said, my plan was never to be a consultant, to, you know, to a company, but I'm proud to be involved with a company that um, really, really desires to incorporate people in a big way, in a very big way. Well, Mark, thank you very yep. much thank for you, calling in. Thank you for calling in today. Mark no, is I'll... the uh, CEO of the American Association of People with Disabilities in Washington, D.C., the largest cross-membership disability organization in the country, aapd.com. Thank you, Mark. Thank you both. Thank you, thank Joyce. You. Thank Bye. you, Mark. Um, and I just want to thank Walmart because... Uh, no surprise, companies that were not calling me before are suddenly calling, but I just want to say, I remember, I will always remember, companies that were hiring people with disabilities before Section 503. And I appreciate, Walmart, your commitment to uh, AAPD, the internship, and the employment of people with disabilities. So, Neil, I have to talk for a few minutes about your, one of your favorite topics, and that is Major League Baseball. So why don't you tell everyone what, we, what you're doing with that? Joyce, you know, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because this is, you know, I, uh, this is my, my passion right now, one of the things that I'm really excited about. Uh, I've worked uh, with, uh, with baseball for about 25 years on various large projects. I go all the way back to the middle 80s with them working on uh, the cocaine, the big lie project. Then they did a program um, about chewing tobacco education. Uh, they're very concerned about what they do. Uh, in terms of their images outside uh, of baseball, and one of the, and, and, and educating the population about important issues, one of the most important groups in baseball is a group called PBATS, the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society, and they came to me uh, early last year and they said, Neil, we want to do a, a program about people with disabilities, and I said, well, uh, what, you know, what do we want to say? They went on to sit down and have a conversation, and we sketched out a program that basically shows that throughout the entire history of Major League Baseball, Joyce, they have been among the most inclusive uh, organizations on the planet. You go all the ways back to the turn of the last century, and you have someone like William Hoy, who is, who is a deaf center fielder, um, who played, uh, I believe, 20 years in the Major Leagues, who basically, because of uh, him not being able to hear, asked, uh, you know, asked the umpires to, to use their hands and arms to signal balls and strikes and safe and out. And that, uh, that began what we know today, the modern era, of the way people call, call balls and strikes and outs. Those were designed for a ball player with limited hearing. 
that's been the case throughout baseball's history. They've had fellows that have played with people don't realize with, with half a foot. They've had guys, uh, I recently brought Jim Abbott with me, a fellow who pitched a no-hitter uh, for the New York Yankees, won almost 100 games uh, with only one hand. Uh, I spent yesterday at a lovely breakfast with a gentleman by the name of Curtis Pride yesterday who played 19 years in the majors who also had a hearing disability, talking about people who were made fun of. I Bo Jackson played baseball, and uh, Bo Jackson uh, explained to me that one of the reasons he was involved in sports and in baseball was because he had a severe stuttering problem and was made fun of, and he took out his aggression and he took out his his uh, his ability to do things. He took it out on a, on a ball field, and it gave him that opportunity. So what we're doing is we've put together a program uh, called Ability Transcends Challenges in Baseball. That's going to show major league ball players who have had disabilities, and we're basically going to say to the American people, hey, these guys were looked at for their talent and their talent only. And why can't business do that? Why don't we look at people with disabilities based upon their talent as opposed to looking at them for what they can't do? Let's look at them for what they can do. And they're going to be doing, we're going to be doing a series of public service announcements. Uh, this year at the World Series, we're going to be in all of the programs and all of the playoff games. And um, they're going to have, there's going to be ads talking about asking businesses to hire people with disabilities for their talent. Um, we're going to be doing some programs, uh, it looks like, with the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, where we're going to be doing a module for young people about respecting people with disabilities for their ability. And using these great examples in baseball, I mean, tremendous examples in baseball uh, of people with disabilities who have achieved at the highest level in professional sport, uh, in American sport, um, uh, with, uh, you know, with varying abilities. And it's really quite a tremendous story. It's funny because baseball is so proud of its inclusion of um, African-Americans um, and uh, uh, with Jackie Robinson, and then of course you have Roberto Clemente and the uh, and people and and uh, people Hispanic uh, people, and then of course baseball has been the first one to include uh, ball players from all over the world. So this mm-hmm. is another area of inclusion for baseball, and we want to start telling this story, and we're going to be doing that this year, and we're very very excited about it. PBATS has uh, made a three year commitment to do this. Um, and uh, we're still working on some funding issues. Of course, we always are. Everyone does. But but they're going to be funding a great deal of this, and uh, it's a very, very exciting program for me, Joyce. Okay, PBATS. What does that stand for again? PBATS stands for the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society. Those are those guys that run out on the field when someone gets hurt, uh, and uh, they're a wonderful group of men and women. Uh, they're the ones that take care of ballplayers, uh, take care of their health, uh, take care of them when they're injured. Um, that's their orientation. Uh, they came to me with this, uh, Joyce, because they said, you know, we know the ballplayers. We know uh, that Freddie Sanchez, who used to play for the Pittsburgh yeah. Pirates, yeah. had a severe disability yep. that no one ever talked about. We know that a fellow like a Jeff Eisenreich is a guy who had Tourette's, and it was never really discussed. We know we have guys with limited hearing. Uh, we know that we have guys that have, uh, you know, every kind of thing you could think of. People who, uh, fellows that use insulin pumps, uh, people who have ADD, ADHD, and other problems, and they play the game, and nobody cares about their disability. Yeah, that's just like in football, Alan Fanica uh, lives with epilepsy, 
mm-hmm. Jason Sn- and played for the Steelers, but Jason Snelling is right now playing for the Falcons, and he also is living with epilepsy. It's mm-hmm. just they spoke out. I guarantee if more people would speak up, you'd be surprised. But that is really something to be proud of. That, those examples you gave um, are just awesome. And I know that if you went to a lot of businesses that didn't know anything about this and you said, well, would you ever hire someone with one hand to be a baseball player? Right. No. Really? Right. I threw a no-hitter. I mean, I just think mm-hmm. that is so phenomenal. And good luck to you and congratulations because I think that is such a great thing you're doing. Thank you, Joyce. I appreciate that. I, I just, I'm just, uh, you know, I just, I'm just marvel at the vision of someone in baseball who could look at a guy with one hand and say, sure, you can play the game. It's just amazing to me. I wish every business had that mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? I guarantee you those batters didn't say, okay, now that guy has a disability, so let's try not to hit the ball. Not, not when he was throwing 97. <laughs> you know what I mean. Oh, Just absolutely. as I always say, do you think people on the opposing team said, don't hit Alan Fanica that hard? And you know what? There you go. No pity. No pity, no pity, and tremendous pride in what they, you know, what they can do. And mm-hmm. it's really funny becomes it because even though they don't want to be looked at that way, they become a source of pride for the entire team and motivation. And teammates of these ballplayers, some of these guys have told me that. I would look over at Jim or I would look over at Curtis or I would look over at Freddie and I'd say, oh, my God, you know, I'm complaining about X and this guy has this and he has really, and he's, and he's doing it on, on a world stage. So it's pretty amazing stuff and it's a great example. It's just a great example. I also think it's a great example for young people. Uh, you know, as we talk about, some of them do have learning disabilities and things like that, that they're willing to step out and say, hey, I do have problems. You know, I have had some things as a disability, but it really hasn't held me back from my dream. It never should. Mm-hmm. Well, Neil, you obviously have accomplished so very much in your life. Um, that it's unbelievable. But I have to ask you this question, and I've asked everyone this question for the past 12 years on my radio show, and that is what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? You know, Joy, stop asking that question. That's a hard question. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I mean, obviously, greatest accomplishments. uh, I don't know that I've accomplished my greatest accomplishment yet. But, you know, uh, greatest accomplishments fall in categories. I guess, uh, you know, if you go back, my greatest accomplishment is graduating high school because no one expected I would do it uh, on a personal level. You know, obviously, uh, you know, my wife and my children are not as much an accomplishment as a blessing, but I can't get anything done without those two things and education in my life and that. But I think anything that I've worked on, I've had the pleasure of working on very significant drug education programs during the Reagan administration. I've gotten the opportunity to work on AIDS education programs, which were very significant and made a difference uh, in society. I've gotten to see my programs that I've worked on, whether it's uh, you know disability or, or drug education or youth uh, homicide and violence. I've gotten to see some of those issues take uh, you know take the forefront of the American mindset, and I've been delighted to be part of that, to be able to, to do that. But, you know, my greatest accomplishment, uh, you know, my greatest accomplishments, frankly, uh, Joyce, fall in the category of the very last person, the very last young person I've spoken to who may have been inspired by something that I said or did uh, in their life. It's a, it's a uh, 
that to me is um, I have I keep only one file of things in my house that I collect. The only thing I collect, Joyce, is thank you letters from moms and dads and parents who have written me notes and said, thank you, you altered the course, or thank you, you've made him think differently, or thank you. To me, that's, uh, I don't have an IRA, but I have that, and uh, I think someday I'll be just happier sitting reading those letters than anything else. So that's my greatest accomplishment, I would have to say. Wow. I, I think you have also, uh, well, I agree. I mean, doing something for a young person, you put no price tag on but you also have impacted the lives of so many people with disabilities to give them hope. Um, and you still do that to this day. Well, you, you still do that. And you know what? I did have a question. How would a company contact you if they were interested in you doing consulting work for them? Well, that's, uh, thank you for asking that, Joyce. That's, that's great. Um, they could just contact me by, uh, I'm Neil, N-E-I-L, and then at theromanogroup.com, all one word, theromanogroup.com. So they can just contact me directly that way. And uh, I, I, get, I get between two and 300 emails a day, but I never go to bed until they're all answered. Wow. i got to give you credit for that one, Neil. <laughs> That's a hard one. I know that. But listen, you know, there's going to be a lot. I just want to say to all of you, there's going to be so much confusion, you know, about 503. And I would so much rather that you're working with someone that you can trust, that we can trust, that's in it for the right reason, that someone that just tries to jump on the bandwagon. So uh, Neil Romano, and I will bring this up again on other shows uh, at the Romano Group. So don't forget about that. So, Neil, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? You know, Joyce, I, 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 that question I love because I, I have left, uh, I've, I don't think I've given a speech or a talk or uh, a conversation or anything for the last 15 years that I haven't, um, you know, I haven't left, my, left people with this. You know, um, I'm a firm believer that um, in, in everything in American history, um, the Declaration of Independence is a sacred document uh, that uh, next to next to our you know our our words uh, uh, in our religions uh, is probably the most sacred words ever spoken. And in the Declaration of Independence, you know, there's a little piece that says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I remind people that that is who we are. That's how we were founded, as an American people, as a people. And then I remind my, when I tell people, I also remind them and say, you know, when they wrote those words, when they wrote those sacred words, they knew they were slaves. They knew that there were, that women could not vote. They knew that you couldn't vote if you didn't have property. They knew that there were, you know, that there were huge differences in the equality of human beings. But they wrote that, Joyce, as a check that we all, generation to generation to generation, have a responsibility to cash. Every single American has a responsibility every day, every day, to find out what they can do to help another human being's life, liberty, and the pursuit of their happiness. And quite honestly, I mean, the way I look at things, um, you know, I think every, if every person just looked at every person as their equal, if every person could look at a person with a disability and say, hey, let me find out. Let me, let me find out something about that human being. 
let me not change my thought for them because they walk differently or speak differently or they have a different intelligence level because it's simply not fair. It's not oh, right. Neil, it's that is so true. And you know what, Neil? We end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader or someone who has impacted all of our lives. And guess what that quote is today? Positive difference will be an engine for social change, said Neil Romano. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.